Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Tavern Watch, where we talk about all things, well, basically that won't fit on any of our main shows, so tabletop, role-playing, sometimes miniatures, it all depends on what we're in the mood for, uh, and occasionally there might be a comic talk later on in the or in the distant future, depends on how we feel. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Joe Perez, and with me today are my two stupendous co-hosts with me. Uh, she's sometimes a gnome, other times she's, uh, you know, creates mechanical dogs for D&D games, and uh, sometimes she has a baby dragon. It's Liz Harper. How are you doing today, Liz? Uh, howdy, doing great. Looking forward to talking about some D&D. Fantastic. Uh, you know him, you love him, he's your favorite barbarian. Also joining me is Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm okay. I had a really weird lunch experience, and... I'm just hoping to get into something nice and safe and calm like Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> totally known for its safety and its calmness. And joining us today is a special guest. We've had him on before, uh, but he has come down from the Dark Tower uh, where he's scrying upon his orbs and uh, all sorts of wonderful content on the internet. Uh, Greg Tito from Wizards of the Coast. How are you doing today, Greg? Good. How are you all doing? I'm very excited to be back uh, and talk D&D and so much fun stuff that's happening. Absolutely. We're happy to have you here. Uh, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is because you just had a major book release, uh, literally within the last couple days. Uh, yeah. Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. Uh, so we had some questions prepared and, and things like that, but I think I'll just open it with this. How has this book release been from your side compared to some of the others that you've had? It's been uh, a whirlwind. It's really great. I, I, unfortunately, the book was delayed for a few weeks, so we mm-hmm. got to like prolong a little bit of the you know preview aspect of it. But that just allowed me to work more with uh, some of the the writers who are contributing to this book and really talk about what makes it special. 
Um, and the response has been amazing. The seeing the community kind of come to life, seeing a adventure book uh, that's an anthology of adventures that have a very different tone and feel than the traditional Western medieval fantasy that D and D is sometimes known for. So it's been just uh, wonderful to to kind of see this you know uh, widespread excitement for for something new. And I swear you must have read one of my questions because that is definitely where one of the things I wanted to bring up. <laughs> uh, so Journey Through the Radiant Citadel marks it, – it's a pretty big milestone, let's be honest, right? Uh, all the creators uh, involved are very culturally diverse. They bring a very unique perspective to the genre. Uh, you even mentioned it. It's been typically uh, characterized and dominated by Eastern European um, folklore or, or history. And now we're starting to get away from that. And it seems like that's been a move that – uh, well, I shouldn't say away. You're adding to it. It's not the only thing anymore. And it seems like that's where a lot of the content that's been being produced lately has been moving is to more uh, culturally di- diverse creators, uh, more I'm interesting front, Go ahead. Um, I, quite frankly, I think Eastern European stuff would be new and surprising for uh, D&D and most <laughs> Western f- fantasies. Western European. Sorry. Very heavily I may have Western misspoke European. there. Apologies. Because, I mean, I'm thinking about like the, the myths of Perun or the... Uh, the Slavic stuff, the Firebird, Russian mythology. There's an almost no Russian folklore in D and D. Yet, and there's a there's a strong strong amount of that stuff we could always see drawn upon. So I certainly would love to see more Eastern European. If you are Eastern European, we don't we don't mean to forget you. I I I know weird people, and they will jump on me for this. It's so, so. funny. I have a a writers group of uh people working on fantasy novels together, and one of them is uh, Russian. Uh, I think actually of Ukraine descent. Um, and she was writing a book that had a lot of this Russian folklore, some of which I have I'm unknown at all. But Baba Yaga and uh the kind of myth around her and her moving hut. Yeah. Um was mentioned and two of the, the writers were like what what is that i don't even know i don't know that and i'm like ah, you knew it because it's in D. yeah this it's is where my D comes but, comes together yeah, yeah exactly it was really i remember uh, like when i was writing when i was writing my novel uh i had a whole thing about kashi the, de- the you know kashi the deathless and the him putting his soul in an egg and yeah. that's like it's very it's this really interesting thread and i don't want to der- derail talking about radiant citadel so i'll just say that no uh, in fact I, that I, actually leads me to ask one of my questions about radiant citadel <laughs> Go for it. Are you guys planning on expanding? Because um, there's a lot of stuff here. I honestly felt like you could you could do journeys through the Radiant Citadel two or three, uh, and really take some of the stuff and, and run with it. And there's a lot of modularity built into this book. Like there's I think twelve or thirteen uh, original founding civilizations that aren't aren't present, and they could come back later. They could be rediscovered. Was that a goal to, to leave something where you could come back and do more? I don't, I'm not sure that that was um, the pitch, uh, but I think that's where it has ended up, right? Where, you know, whenever you're creating a book uh, or any piece of, of creative artwork to a certain extent, there's stuff that's on the cutting room floor, right? Where like, oh, this was really great, but we just, you know, we have to pick and choose what can fit into uh, a 225 page book, right? And so some of the, um, that material was, was, uh, you know, uh, sadly had to be cut, but it's like, man, it's got to see the light of day at some point. And so I think also the idea that D- uh, Dungeon Masters could fill in the gaps, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think there's something that fifth edition D&D has really embraced, which is like, we're going to give you tons and tons of stuff that you can use as inspiration, but here are some holes. Here are some things that we need the players and the Dungeon Masters to bring to life. It was it was present in 
uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, for example, which had a lot of detail on many of the levels of Undermountain beneath Waterdeep. But sometimes those maps just went off the edge and you're like, well, fill it in, see whatever is beyond there. We don't know. Um, and yeah, so like, I think that 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 kind of spirit is true here with uh, with Aja George and Wes Schneider as they were putting this book together was like, there's no way we can put every idea that's that's amazing and fit it into, uh, you know, the physical constraints of a hardcover book. But there is so much stuff to explore, stuff that people can can add on their own. Um, and I have to give a shout out to a lot of the authors who contributed to this book. They have published a few supplements of th that type of material um, on the Dungeon Masters Guild as well. So not only is there uh, this book and all the amazing stuff that you can jump into it now, but there is there is an additional supplement there that is full of some of the stuff you're mentioning. Yeah, I was actually going to uh, talk about that a little bit too, is we've seen a a boon or a boot. I don't even know if I want to call it that. Like we've just seen like an increase in attention on uh, more diverse creators, like especially through like the DMs Guild. Um, also, we've seen a lot of live play diversity uh, as well um, yeah. starting to pop up, which I think is really, really good, especially through some of the uh, official D&D streams as well, which is always fantastic to see. Um, so is this something we can just kind of expect to see more of uh, in general? Is Absolutely. This okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I didn't want to cut you off there, but like, I think that has been an important tenet of my uh, you know, tenure here at Wizards of the Coast, which was that you know, D and D fans had a certain stereotype, uh, mm -hmm. even as recently as as 2015 when I joined the company, where you know they were all mostly white, nerdy, unfortunately mostly male. Like that was just still the way people talked about it when you uh, mentioned D and D to someone who wasn't you know in the gaming industry. If they knew the brand, most people did. They associated with some, some of those negative stereotypes, and I'm so glad that over the last seven years that's kind of been banished, right? Like people mm -hmm. really think about Dungeons and Dragons as a storytelling framework. And then when you realize that like, oh, we can tell all types of stories within this framework um, beyond the Western European ones that, that that we were talking about before. And we can start doing Eastern European ones and, and ones from uh, inspired by, uh, you know, uh, uh, nations along the Pacific uh, rim and, and things like that. Like there's just so much wealth of myth and storytelling and, uh, seeing it all come to life, I think is is going to be the new norm for for Dungeons and Dragons going forward because it is a, a a global game, right? Like people are starting to really pick it up, not just in North America or English speaking countries. They are uh, excited to you know um, experience all of the, the those myths and legends that have come from Western literature. But they're like, hey, now we can try to do that with with some of the myths and stories that we grew up with and that are a part of our culture. And I think that just increases everyone's imagination and, and, and inspiration for, for, for going forward. Yeah. And, and a personal note, uh, this is something that uh, the show that I'm part of on Sundays, we were very, very happy. And we actually talk about this a lot, especially recently because everybody on the show is either a person of color or non-binary or LGBTQIA plus. Uh, and seeing that increase in diversity has done nothing but sort of stoked the fires of creativity in all of us and you know it's like okay we're not just the outliers anymore so it doesn't mean a lot from us to see that that's you know how things are like the, the, totally. the, the diversity and the, the breadth of it is, is fantastic yeah and it's not just cultural too like i think there's really a lot of about neurodiversity mm -hmm. uh, in yep. the dragons as well as uh people with disabilities and how they can uh go through um 
the adventures and have heroes without having that 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 limitation of like oh well you know you can't do that because you're in a wheelchair i'm like well no there's so many amazing things that people who are uh, in wheelchairs uh, can can do and i think that's that's the next um uh you know, opening of doors that i think dungeons and dragons can start to do all right um i'm just going to say right now the orum varax is my favorite monster of all time <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be using them constantly from now on. You guys just get used to it. You're going to you know, walk out to your door, Orm Varak's going to fall on your head. Uh, now, I just, one of the things I love about this book, and I, I, I want to let both Joe and, and Liz ask a lot of questions. So I'm just going to say this much. I love the diversity of creatures in it. Mm. Not just, you know, I mean, diversity in cultures is awesome. Uh, and I will steal from those cultures in my own games. Uh, in fact, we're talking about running a Radiant Citadel game where I'm kind of, I'm kind of picturing it sort of like Deep Space Nine, where oh. the, the players will use uh, this Radiant Citadel as their base, and they will travel to other worlds. Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to stick a spell jamming thing in there too, because why not? Um, <laughs> totally. But, but one of the things I really love about this book is that it has really different, uh, really new, and some like I've seen Arumvarax used before. Uh, but a lot of the other stuff I've not seen, and that's just like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like, there's a new type of, of celestial in this. There's there's a lot of different stuff in this book. Um, and I don't think you could have got that without getting a lot of different people with different viewpoints and different backgrounds. Because, you know, it's a, not everybody's heard of the same things. And unfortunately, Tolkien casts a huge shadow. I mean, I'm not saying unfortunately because Tolkien's bad. I'm saying unfortunately because it means it's just, it's kind of like people said about writing he used to say that writing in the South with after Faulkner was like writing next to a mountain. Mm-hmm. Everybody had to notice that giant mountain. Even if you didn't mention the mountain, the fact that you weren't mentioning the mountain was important. And it's kind of like that with like D and D and like, you know, fantasy in general with Tolkien. So I was really excited to see stuff that's completely not, it's absolutely different. And the arm is just a door. So I know right? Uh, you can't go wrong with, with eight legs and a, and a ferret. Yeah, it's a ferret with eight legs, and you know, it, is it evil? No, it's a ferret. But at yeah. the same time, maybe it's evil. It's you a Vulcan, of course, it's evil. Yeah, but, or, or traditional. Your face, you're going to get hurt. That's how it yeah. works. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that's a really good point. I think that's why it's so exciting for people who 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 may have only been versed in Western fantasy to experience what's in this book is because. Uh, you know, let's be honest. If you played Dungeons and Dragons for 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 decades, you know, oh, it's a it's a ghost. Oh, okay, it's a orc. Oh, all right, I get it. It's a big bugbear. Like, there's not a lot that you can surprise players with if they're well versed in reading every single you know monster manual that's ever come out. But then you have the inspiration that comes from all the writers who were involved in in this book, and they're coming up with stuff or 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 infusing stuff that. You may never have even seen before or even imagined before. And that kind of breath of fresh air is what every dungeon master wants to give to their players uh, to surprise them. Right. And yeah, so the, the I, Bakunawa, I love if you're looking, I'm on page 147, the Bakunawa. Yeah. I love this thing. This thing is amazing. I the am Bakunawa, to, as, uh, yeah, as uh, Mackenzie Darmas has, has yeah. uh, pronounced it in my presence. <laughs> I, I, can't, I don't, I'm sorry. If I butcher any pronunciations, I'm really sorry. I've never seen this word before. Or No worries. Already. Like but, like uh, all fantasy, I think any way you pronounce it is the right way. <laughs> but I love just everything about this thing because it's, it's, it's fearsome. It's a dragon type creature, but there, no one will have any idea what to do with it. If I bring a red dragon out, people know, even if they don't let their character act on it, they know what a red dragon does. Very few people are going to know what this thing does. Exactly. And then it becomes a whole fun 
you know, gaming experience of like, oh, yeah. how do we beat it? What do we need to do? What, you know, what do we talk to it? How do, how do we defeat this? Yeah, exactly. So I, I really love that aspect of this book. I mean, I also appreciate not to, to jump in here because I, I absolutely want to let Liz talk. I'm sorry. Uh, but seeing like the, uh, the Pari in there, which is, seems like it's, uh, and again, if I'm mispronouncing it, I apologize. Um, but that's like from Parisian mythology, isn't it? Like seeing, seeing that Persian, kind of, Persian, not Parisian. Sorry, Persian. Yes. I have not had nearly enough coffee today. I am so sorry. <laughs> it's all good. No, it, yeah, it is, no. And it's Persian, talking yeah. to Justice Armand about uh, wanting to uh, develop the the whole Shadow of the Sun uh, idea is is very very interesting. Uh, and having um, this new type of celestial uh, be a part of an adventure that is evocative of the way think people think about Persia or Iraq and 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 how. Uh, it can, it can, you know, tell stories that are not the typical, like, oh yeah, go into that dungeon and kill all the monsters in it. Like it's, there's so much more to it. And then having angels be, you know, pot- potentially be antagonists or, uh, something that you're contending against, uh, is, is super interesting to me always. Hey Liz, you want to use your chance. <laughs> See, the problem is I get to listening to y'all and then I forget to ask anything. Um, I'm really curious. I have fewer questions about the Radiant Citadel in particular, and more about kind of like the direction Wizards is going with its books. Y'all have been putting out books at just this breakneck pace this year. We still, we've had three books released this year, I think, two or three, and we've got a couple more to go still. We're getting Spelljammer next month. That's right. Which is not far away. I don't know how the time happens. We have so much D&D happening. It's very exciting. But what I'm wondering is how much is too much? What are y'all like, can you speak at all about what y'all think about the pacing? Because it's exciting to get new content, but at the same time, it can be overwhelming, particularly if you're maybe a DM looking at these, like, increasing mountain of books and like, do I need that? Yes. Like, is there a happy spot <laughs> for cadence here? No, more. Always more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's a really interesting thing. I mean, those of us who remember fourth edition, uh, there was certainly a point where it felt like there was a D&D book coming out every month. Uh, and it was a breakneck pace. And I'm glad that there was a decision made back at the start of fifth edition, which was let's not do that type of monthly release thing, because honestly it, 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 it would destroy the team and it's, it's, it's morale to be, yeah. In, yeah. Yeah. It would just be like in constant crunch mode. Um, and then we decided to focus on larger books that had a high level of quality control as well as graphic design and just like love put into them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. back in, you know, the early, uh, fifth edition era we had like three or four books a year i think it was three really was the the most um and so we've added like one additional uh book to that uh per year uh over the last couple of years and that's just been because of our um expertise has increased within the within the team uh, as well some of the books are not developed fully in-house if that makes sense. So we have mm-hmm. um, one of the book releases this year was the critical role book uh, called the nether deep, for example. And so that was certainly a D and D book. It went through all the rigorous, uh, you know, play testing and things that all of our, our D and D published books do, but it was mostly uh, um, sourced through uh, freelance writers, similar with, um, uh, with this book, Radiant Citadel uh, had all of the, 
I'm going to say quality control again, but like, you know, that, that level of like polish that D and D books in this era have come to that, that, that fans have come to expect from, from books in this era, but it was mostly uh, uh, generated by this wealth of uh, writers that we have been talking about. Right. And so I think the D and D team has become just more expert at project management, if that makes sense uh, to be able yeah. to come with this pace. Um, also, uh i i agree with you i don't i think there we're really reaching a point where it might be too many um but we have kind of shifted uh the way we talk about it to fans saying that like you know you don't there's always going to be dnd fans out there who are collectors and feel like they need to have every release i feel called out yeah more power <laughs> to you I, i'm one of I'm, I'm one of them i've got a whole shelf i brings me uh, immense pleasure to continue to add uh, to that collection. I love it, um, and I'm and I'm working on my my older edition collections as well. That said, you don't really need every single book in order to run uh, exciting D and D. You know, my my message to folks out there: if you're feeling like it is too much of a pace, pick the ones that are the most exciting to you. Like if if everything that we've been talking about, Journeys Through Radiant Citadel, sounds like it's up your alley and 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 would uh, really make your players have a ton of fun. You know, jump into that, right? But it's also okay to be like, "Hey, this is not my cup of tea. Um, I'd rather wait for Spelljammer or Dragonlance, which is which is coming down uh, later on this year, right?" Like I have questions about Dragonlance. We'll get to them. <laughs> we'll get to them. We'll get to them. <laughs> we certainly will, uh, as well as Spelljammer too. But you know, like I think there is this completionist idea that many gamers, myself included, have that I think can feel. Um, uh, I don't want to say toxic, but it, it, it can sometimes overwhelming. Make, uh, yeah, right. It, it has it has that little bitterness to it. So my advice is just yeah, follow your bliss. If if you're really into uh, one book, buy that one and 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 love the crap out of that book. And then you know if you want to pick up the the ones that you might have missed later on, sure, go ahead do it. Or or if you have a group that wants to play Spelljammer, pick it up then. You don't need to pick it up uh, at release, in my opinion. <laughs> You, you are also doing something along that lines real quick. Sorry, that, that I think is actually really important for people to also consider is like back when maybe years ago, like even during third edition, there wasn't a whole lot of like previews for stuff. Books mm. were just they just came out. There might have been something in a magazine, like maybe in Dungeon Magazine or maybe in Dragon Magazine that told you about what it was. But you basically had to wait till the book was released to actually know. But with a lot of the pre-release stuff that that you guys have been doing now you have preview copies that go out you have content that you produce that that talks about it and gives you a pretty darn good idea of what that content is to you even before the book's released to kind of for players to get an idea of if it's something they would be interested in um so there's maybe a little bit more information available and then of course i always tell people encourage them if you are interested in a book uh visiting your friendly local game store is always a great way to one uh, buy a product that you possibly would like and also look through it because it's on the shelf ready to go uh, and, you know, support local play spaces as well. So tons of ways to, to avoid having to, you know, Pokemon the, the entire collection. Right. Yeah. Oh. And, I, and, and that's a good point. Oh, go ahead. And the other thing about buying from your local game store is that they have these books with these unique covers that you will not find if you order off of like Amazon. And I've, I've got to admit, I'm kind of hooked on these special covers because, Me too. you know, I used to, to look, you know, at the pictures online and I'd be like, oh, that's okay. 
it's okay. I mean, I guess. But when you see them in person, all of the special covers are just so fabulous in a way that you cannot photograph. And now I want them all. It's a problem. <laughs> I know. It's it's almost like the opposite of what I said about, oh, pick and choose what you want. You don't have to collect them all. But man, those special uh, al- alternate covers are only available. Yes, through they're Gang so Scorch. beautiful. They are really, and they're so different too. I love that each yeah. one feels very much connected to the content in the book itself. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I, I, I can't say enough wonderful things about the art direction of, well, of all the books in general. Uh, but then very specifically, those, those alt covers have been a huge, um, I don't know, just breath of, uh, new, something new, uh, for people to, to want to get their hands on. And you're right, Liz, like if you, once you actually hold those books, it feels very different than uh, when you are just looking at, at at mundane pictures on Twitter or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm going to say up front that the Theros cover, so the Theros favorite. alternate cover, is amazing. That's why it is absolutely. I, I it's one of the few ones I spent money to buy the special cover after I had a regular copy, <laughs> just because it's that good. Um, second would for me would be Descent into Avernus, which I really love. Although yeah. Radiant Citadel with this kind of stained glass look, that's a close contender for possible second place. It's it's astonishingly well done. Um, that actually does make me want to talk about something that you talked about earlier releases. And one of the things I was thinking about was like looking back over like the the first couple years when you put out the Tiamat adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for a little while, I felt like the problem D&D 5th edition had was it didn't have enough just smaller scale adventure stuff um, that all the adventures coming out were these huge things. Uh, And it's not that they were bad. Oh my God. No descent to Avernus is astonishing. I think the rise of Tiamat stuff is very good. I think the storm Kings, is this the storm Kings vengeance? Thunder. 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 That's a, that's a really good module. My favorite product until fairly recently was uh, tales of the yawning portal, which where you guys went back and took various modules from like, D&D history and converted them to fifth edition, saving me the trouble, which by the way, thank you. Um, <laughs> Cause I do a lot of that myself and it is always work. Um, and I was wondering, I, I, is there at any point, are you guys thinking about putting out stuff that's slight smaller scale? Like that's not, not that the, you know, radiant Citadel is amazing, but it is a lot of adventures and there's a certain amount of interconnectedness you could put in. You don't have to, um, I, in fact, one of the things I liked about Radiant Citadel was that you could sit down, you could just pull an adventure out of this and run it, and you don't have to really even involve the Radiant Citadel in it if you don't want to. True. Um, like the one you were talking about, Sun and Shadow, I think it was the one you were talking about, the the one with the Pyre in it. Shadow of the Sun. Shadow of the Sun, thank you. Yeah. Um, that one, you really, really would not be hard to do as like an adventure for a group. You could put that into like any campaign. Pretty much the entirety of this is stuff you could put into any campaign. Which I thought was interesting. Um, any thoughts on like if that's going to be something going forward, or if you guys are thinking about doing smaller scale content stuff that's more self-contained? What you mentioned, Tales from the Yawning Portal, and that was a book that you know sold pretty well when it came out. Um, but it was, if I'm remembering correctly, it was like not the the big release that year. I think it was Storm King's Thunder that came out later. Yeah, it was, yeah. Storm King's Thunder yeah. was absolutely yeah. Um, and so a lot of our marketing kind of muscle and and and. Uh, evocativeness was was devoted more to um to the giants and and, and uh, uh you know really cool characters from that adventure um and tales for the yawning portal was just you know was in the in the in the catalog and then we started to realize over years and years and years that it just it continued to sell really really well people loved tales from the yawning portal 
And that was the inspiration to do uh, Candlekeep Mysteries and now uh, Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel and make sure that we still will have the larger, big uh, adventures um, like uh, Spelljammer and Dragonlance that are coming out this year. Um, but we realized that the way people play D&D is just, as you said, just the smaller being able, I just need something I can play right now, takes a little bit of, uh, of prep time, we can add more to it and create a through line uh, campaign if you wish, but it just needs to be something that we can play in a couple of hours with yeah. uh, with a little bit of prep because I feel got bad the amount of time that yeah. we have, right? And so I, I feel I, bad that I forgot Candlekeep Mysteries because Liz was running it for us for a while and it was really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Ghost of Selmarsh as yeah. well was a was one that was uh, all about shorter um, shorter adventures. No, I mean, uh, Candlekeep was another one you could grab and you can insert it into just anything. about anywhere. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know if we are going to do something that is a smaller form factor or anything going back to the way, you know, the way modules, uh, you know, with, I, I would, I previous editions, that. but yeah, no. we are certainly always thinking about the way people play. Um, and, and especially, you know, you mentioned live play stuff uh, earlier on, as far as how it brought out the amount of people who come from different backgrounds playing together. A lot of that was inspiration for Radiant Citadel specifically. I think people were like, hey, we need something that could just be played in two hours on a Twitch live stream that would have evocative storytelling that wouldn't necessarily be combat heavy or focused, uh, that could be more about role play and how you solve problems without needing to bring out the uh, miniatures and the, and, the, and the gridded map space, right? And mm -hmm. so that was certainly a inspiration. And it's why we used folks like uh, Serena Marie as a, as a writer. Uh, this is her uh, adventure is the first one in this book um, that has a little bit more of a lighter tone with tons of humor uh, in it. Uh, and that was certainly an inspiration to try to be like, all right, how, do, how are people actually playing this? Let's try to, you know, create a product that is more for um, the folks who want those short bite-sized adventures. So on the other side of the coin, and this is sort of something that maybe I'm just reading too far into it, but I wanted to ask anyway, it sure. seems like you might be potentially able to serve both long-term storytelling and short-term storytelling with some of the choices that you've been making. Um, and I'm bringing this up because you just had what Morden Kanan's monsters of the multiverse. We just had journeys to the radiant Citadel. We have spell jammer coming out. It seems almost like a way is being developed for players to very easily, I don't know, attach their homebrews to the, you know, greater D&D universe that exists uh, and sort of maybe have this idea. Matt and I talked about this, was it Sunday, last Sunday, about the, the Great Wheel cosmology where everything was interconnected? Yeah, mm -hmm. um, someone asked us and we were like, qu quite frankly, we can't tell you about the D&D multiverse because it is too big. And we don't know everything yet. Um, I was actually going to ask a question about it. Like if Spelljammer is going to serve kind of the same role that the manual of the planes did in previous versions of D and D um, I'm thinking specifically the, the third edition one that Jeff Grubb did um, where basically it gives you an idea of where, what's going on. Not, not like it doesn't, it's not like telling everyone this is what everything is. It's just, here's, here are some places you might go sort of thing. Is that like, is that something I can ask? I don't know if you can talk much about Spelljammer. Well, there's going to be a lot more information coming out about uh, Spelljammer soon. But what I can tell you is, and this is what we mentioned at the at the uh, at the jump when we announced it, it's three volumes in one, um, and so it's designed to have uh, 
it's not necessarily like a new setting, but it's just something that you can use to expand your homebrew, as you said, or to um, go into completely new directions with your homebrew campaign. Um, and so one of the volumes is just a bestiary with all the things that happen in uh, in the conception of uh, the Astral Sea. Uh, so Spelljammers changed a little bit in that they're not we're not dealing with phlogiston and, and, and all that stuff that and crystal spheres and all that. Yeah. That was, always yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just more set in the astral sea, which was already a amorphous space with, uh, lots of, um, interesting things in between the different hubs, uh, or, or realms that you might be going to, uh, in a spell jammer. So it'll, it'll talk more about that and how you can run those campaigns. Uh, so one of, the, one of the other volumes is just more on like just kind of background on on our conception of how um, the Spelljammer space works and functions within the multiverse and how you can travel from, say, um, the Forgotten Realms world of Toril to the to the uh, other other settings or other worlds or homebrew uh, places that that your adventures might go to. Also, shout out for making Minsk and Boo uh, multi-dimensional planeswalkers, because that makes me incredibly <laughs> happy at a very like giddy level. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Of course, they were. Maybe, maybe more Boo than Minsk. Uh, I feel like I, that's where all the power reigns. Oh, yeah, one hundred percent. He's a giant miniature space hamster. Come on. Yeah, can't go wrong there. Um, and then the the third no volume in Spelljammer is much more like what we've been describing um, in Radiant Citadel, where it's a series of short adventures that have a continual through line. It's a little bit more linear uh, in that you go from one adventure to the next, but it's designed to be more episodic, right? A little bit like those old pulp um, Flash Gordon type of stories that would be like, all right, you know, hey, did you find out what happened last time? And like, you know, there's 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 rules and 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 and. Uh, recommendations for how to give recaps and end on cliffhangers and and all that so that you have um, I think it's 12 uh, adventures that can feel a little bit like a 12 episode season of 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 Spelljammer in space so we're trying that out a little bit differently because of the demand for what you're talking about right where people want to be able to do x they want to be able to do y here's the product where you can do all that with uh, um, with all the amazing uh, tools and things it's not quite the manual of the planes that you're talking about and that like, oh, here's how the whole cosmology works, but it is giving the most of those tools uh, and definitely the inspiration to kind of create that. Cool, cool. Uh, unfortunately, my cat just climbs in my lap and is looking at my beard, so I'm having a hard time getting words out. <laughs> uh, but I, I do want to like, I want to let uh, Liz talk because I know she had some D&D &D Beyond questions. So I'm going to actually start with like a slight D&D &D Beyond question. When you, since you guys have picked up D and D Beyond and fully integrated it, I'm assuming, or at least planning to fully integrate it, um, what led you to that? Like, do you can you talk about why when you guys decided this shouldn't just be an outside company, this should be something we control? Like, how how did you get there? Well, they were already uh, a very close licensed partner of ours. Um, we don't allow just anybody to sell mm -hmm. our Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, content right like we have a very specific way in which we want that to get to the consumer um and so that's why we've, we've worked with dnd beyond when they were starting up uh we, we had a lot of uh talks about how that was going to be the future i think all of us were a bit surprised at how all of a sudden the future was here in 2020 when <laughs> uh, so many of us had to uh communicate online in order to play only uh during the pandemic uh and so um, I think there was just the idea that there is so much uh, amazingness that D&D &D Beyond was doing 
um, that we wanted to just more closely partner with them uh, and uh, work work with um, that team in order to uh, expand all the amazingness that the team was able to to put together. Right, because you know there's been a couple of digital ways to play Dungeons and Dragons before. There's a little bit a lot of ways digitally to get uh, stuff. I was a huge fan of the character builder in D&D Insider uh, mm-hmm. for, for fourth edition. Um, and I think D&D Beyond, you know, did that and more uh, in a much better way, a much more integrated uh, and fun way, as well as, you know, it's you, you can't really deny it. it was certainly a part of the the growth of the D&D audience where it was like, oh, I don't have to sit for two and a half hours with a calculator and a pencil and scribble on a piece of paper in order to create a character. I can do it in 10 minutes with some questions that are being asked by an online, um, you know, form that's a little bit easier to understand than, than all that. So I think it, it removed barriers to people jumping into the game and playing it and getting excited about the products that we were coming out with that would inspire even more storytelling and more characters to be made. Uh, and so I think we were always impressed with the tools. And then now that it's, it's part of uh, Wizards proper, we're just going to see more and more uh, development and exciting uh, stuff coming from from that team. Let's go. I mean, I mean, one of the great things about D&D Beyond is you can make a character with a single click because there is a random button. And I, I keep know. threatening, I keep threatening that we should do a campaign where everyone just hits the random button and that's what you play for the campaign. I haven't done that yet, but well, um, I... I know. <laughs> Uh, I I was wondering how y'all have been dealing with integrating D and D Beyond. Like, they're I'm not talking about the character creation, which is great, perfect, honestly, on its own. But like D and D Beyond always created great um, blog content. They wrote great articles. They had great videos. Are is that kind of getting rolled more into like the main Wizards of the Coast brand? Or are you kind of like? Uh, pushing D&D Beyond to keep going with its own identity because it has always made like really, really good content, which I think has been overlooked because the character creator is so great. I think that made sense as a question. Hopefully it made sense as a question. Well, I mean, a little bit what you're talking about is content marketing, which is a word that doesn't doesn't Uh, make me happy for some reason. I don't know why, but it is that idea of like, hey, these are people who are excited about uh the the same stuff that that fans are excited about let's bring them in house and give them all the tools and you know honestly a peek behind the curtain a little bit uh, a little bit earlier than we might have when it was even just a licensed partner like as when they were licensed we certainly let them know about what was upcoming um so that they could plan some of that stuff but they also were like "Mm, can you give us more and we're like "Mm, uh, sorry we couldn't but that those those no's are now all turning to yeses, of course. And here's what's happening, you know, three years down the line. So they have a lot more, um, uh, you know, just the inspiration to create that type of content going forward and working with Joe Starr and Amy Dolan and Michael Galvis, uh, a lot of the wonderful content creators over there has, uh, just been a dream. They were, they were great to work with before. And now it's, you know, Oh, Hey, we are, we're on the same email server and, you know, Oh yeah, we can just message each other in teams. And so a lot of it's been a lot more just, uh, collaborative in that way. And then plus we have Todd Kenrick who had, was, at the forefront of all of the video content that was coming out of D&D Beyond back when it was new. And he is now a uh, a content contributor for Dungeons & Dragons uh, specifically uh, and is making wonderful stuff there too. And so it does feel like 
I don't want to use the term again, but the content marketing kind of uh, zeitgeist <laughs> is moving forward and it's just going to create more and more fun stuff. And, and now we get to integrate things like from the movie and all that. So like it's, it's, it's honestly been just one wonderful and uh, removing barriers between great fans of D and D talking about it. So to, uh, to other fans is what I'm all about. It's kind of funny the way you're doing that, though, because it sounds like you're going talking about this. I'm talking in my normal voice. Content marketing. I mean, someone someone's dubbed in to do the content marketing part. Content and then marketing. what we do is yeah, that was that was Asmodeus uh, uh, coming in. Right I I think we all kind of do something like that when we're talking about something oh, we're yeah. really excited about, and then our brain has to switch back into corporate speak, and you kind of mm-hmm. amp the excitement way way down. Um. Human asset management. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my like, you know, my uh, English major creator personality <laughs> having to be in a corporate environment. That's what you're seeing in real time here. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but but we mentioned the D&D movie. How about that D&D movie trailer? I D&D know. Honor Amongst Thieves, which is coming out, I believe, in 2023. The trailer just dropped at San Diego Comic-Con this week. And... Wow! I mean, we've had D and D movies before, but um, you know, it's. Really- I liked that movie. <laughs> I didn't. I'm not saying I liked it because it was good. I'm just saying that I, I have warm memories of watching it with a friend and both of us staring at the screen and staring at each other and then staring at the screen like, "What is happening? How is Jeremy Irons so bad in this?" So let's move away from Jeremy Irons being really bad in something too. Yeah, how did this even happen? Like, like, how did you get this movie to happen? I know you didn't personally go make it happen, but oh, I did. It was all me. Uh, no, uh, good job. It, it Great was, work. Yeah, you know, it's an exciting uh, thing. Um, I, I have to admit, I have not actually seen the original Dungeons and Dragons movies. I think in my brain, I was like, you know what, these are going to be not good, and I'm going to be disappointed. Uh, um, I'm going to tell you now. If you ever have a time with a bunch of friends where you guys are <laughs> going to get a little tipsy. Sit down and watch it then. I feel like it's. I feel like I've missed my my. I've missed my window. Like I feel like if I did that now, even if I was inebriated, it still would be a bad movie. And uh, oh, it's a bad movie. There's no, (laughs) there is no discussion of this not being a bad movie. Any movie where the best performance is Is by a man wearing blue lipstick. I I don't know. Marlon Wayans was pretty good in that one. Marlon Wayans was unbelievably bad in that. (laughs) Bad. Yeah, but, so I think but he was bad in a way that you'd comprehend that a human being in this situation would be bad at it. Like you could just imagine him going, I can't see literally anything. All this stuff is bad CGI, so none of it's actually happening. I have to pretend I'm drowning in a rug. So I got <laughs> that. But right. everybody else was bad in a way. It's like they all got hit with a tranquilizer dart before they got on set and had a chip implanted in their brains that caused their emotions to spike in weird directions. <laughs> But well, the trailer the way- you guys just showed for your new movie, people are acting. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, wow. So, yeah, talk more about this. Uh, well, I I got to see that trailer a couple of weeks ago. It was still uh, in um, prep mode. So, like, not all the effects were perfect. Uh, they were still working on them. But I loved probably beyond anything else, even though like all oh, the Albert is so cool uh, uh, and, and, and game breaking uh, as well as like the black dragon and like all the kind of like nods to things I thought were amazing. But I think my favorite part of that trailer is the choice of music. I think using whole lot of love by Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. was inspired oh, yeah. choice. Absolutely, uh, It got me excited about it. It reminded me of how, 
uh, Taika Waititi uh, in the trailer for Thor Ragnarok used Led Zeppelin. Like it just evoked all of those wonderful, you know, how many times people of a certain age, if you've played D and D, there was some Led Zeppelin playing in the background for, <laughs> for you know, 95% of those game sessions f- back in the eighties. My 70s, first, right? my first D and D game that I ever played was literally, I think it was Led Zeppelin two was playing on the, on the CD player in the background. Like how absolutely. could you not? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, then when you get to like Battle of Evermore and all that, yet. like it's it's such there's so the fantasy is in that music. Uh, so it was hell. Just listen to any Dio right. lyric. Dio basically metal at that time <laughs> was writing about D and D. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, and then they have like Chris Pine's character be a bard. I just yep. really loved. I thought what that I was loved really about smart. that was the bit where she's like, "So, but what do we need you for?" Yeah. I make the, I make the plans, but the plan's been made. Well, if the plan doesn't work, so you make bad plans then. Yeah. And it's like, he also plays the lute. That's not really important. <laughs> and it cuts to a picture of him playing the lute. I love that. That was that's so genius because it's, it was genius. It doesn't, it's not one of the things I kind of, I'm playing a bard right now in a game and it's, <laughs> they're hard to play by the way, but they have all, all sorts of tricky stuff. But one of the things I like about playing the bard is that you can do things other than like, you pretty much do anything. Like you could be yeah. a you could be a stabby bard if you wanted, or you can be a, like a a magician type bard, or you could just mix and match. But one of the things I loved about that was just that idea that bards he's playing away from the stereotype, but at the same time it's Chris Pine, mm-hmm. so he has the stereotype because you look at him and you know he played Captain Kirk, so you're thinking that weird stereotype that's evolved about bards trying to sleep with literally everything, and you have Chris Pine play one. Yeah. You have Captain Kirk as your bard. Come on. It's perfect. It's absolutely and I like, perfect. And Without I like that them the, hammering it, you know? Yeah, right. They didn't really lean into that too much. Like, he wasn't really, like, the the schmoozy uh, guy. But you could tell he's the face, right? Like, he's he's the person who is uh, going to talk to the bad guy first, right? Like, that's mm-hmm, just... Mm-hmm. And, and and that's that's you know you mentioned how uh, bards are basically you know jacks of all trades and like yeah they can do that but really the thing that they're the best at is persuading people and getting them to go along with your plans and and, and do that which is uh, you know was front and center in there um, I love the the cast uh, you know yeah, Michelle Rodriguez so so good um, her enthusiasm and all the interviews I've been seeing from San Diego Comic Con I feel like she's the one who's like the most old school uh, D and D player. Uh, out of well, all, she do a bunch of movies with Vin Diesel, doesn't he? Yeah, make he movies with Vin Diesel. Diesel. He make, yeah. yeah, he makes yeah. him play D and D on set. Yeah, um, <laughs> and that's something that Chris Pine said too. He had never played before, uh, and he, uh, when he got this role, he said he played with his nephews, I think. And he said something in the interview that I was like, God, I want to just shout this from the rooftops. He said every um, creative cast of people getting together should play D and D before they play, even if it's not a fantasy action movie like this movie is because it's such a good world building or or, um, team building exercise. Like they basically are just doing controlled improv. And I'm like, yes, yes. Say that more, do that. in all the junkets, get more people playing D &D, please. Uh, I thought that was, I thought that was wonderful. That's some good corporate synergy. I mean, I, I legit got a job because the guy interviewing me asked me my hobbies and I told him that, you know, well, D&D is one of them. He's like, are you a game master or are you a player? And I said, well, I generally game master. He's like, oh, so you're used to corralling about like six to eight unruly people regularly. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, he's like, great. That's a win in the column for you. Like, It's a life skill. It absolutely is. 
Oh, it totally is. Yeah, no, and that's why we're seeing the the the, and this is what we hope the movie will do uh, when it comes out next year is draw even more people from the mainstream into what is exciting about this game, right? Because it does so many things. We talked about this before. It does so many things that you don't even know it's it's teaching you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're learning about corralling people uh, and getting them to show up uh, week after week. You're learning about how to uh, take people from different varied backgrounds and different skills and put them into practice and 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 uh, improvise when things don't go your way, right? Like those are just so, all things you need in life. You need them in your career. You need them in relationships. And D and D teaches all that without hammering you over the head with it like it is just like oh yeah i'm practicing social skills but i'm also casting fireball and destroying all the bad guys at the same time <laughs> i still remember how disappointed my mother was to find out there was absolutely nothing satanic about it <laughs> she's like you mean i've been i've been totally supporting you in this hobby despite your father's objections and there's nothing it's math it's mostly math <laughs> yeah i'm sorry like and she picked up the player's handbook at one point and was reading through it because she had got it for me, but she didn't hadn't read it. So she picked it up and read through it. And she's like, Backwano? Backwano? Your character is carrying Backwano around. Oh, I'm I'm not I use a sword, Mom. I don't I don't do this spell. She's like, Why the heck would you not do this spell? It's by ninth level, you'll clearly be superior. But she like my mom was a trip, but yeah, she was like totally going through the original player's handbook and just was very disappointed that the whole time she'd been supporting me in this rebellion to annoy my father, um, it turned out that yeah, it was mostly math and learning how to be friendly. Uh, so <laughs> it's true. Uh, so yeah, I'm really hoping the movie does does more of that and just gets more people to to jump in and want to want to play. The thing that seems so hard about making a D and D movie or a movie that feels like an actual D and D game is that D and D games are chaos. They are chaos. If they if the players make a plan, they're going to spend you know an hour and a half making a plan that has nothing to do with what's actually going to happen, and then they're just going to make crazy stuff up on the fly based on I don't even know what goes on in players' but, heads when they decide to you know rescue the kobold that they were supposed to kill, and then they make a bunch of kobold friends who now live in their basement, which is an actual thing that actually happened in a campaign we're playing right now. I feel like the trailer kind of captured that a little bit with, with yeah, talking about yeah, the plans, exactly. but also like, I, 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 I don't know the ins and the outs of the plot. I'm only getting it from the trailer that you all saw, right. so I'm not giving anything away, but my theory is that like the first part of the movie, they're doing the heist to get that artifact. And then they realized they, they, they screwed up and they should not have done that. Right. And so then now they have to do like, you mean that thing kindly old to- man that I stole the crown for that clearly told me there was nothing I should worry about, even though his eyes were flashing orange was a problem. Oh man. Exactly, right. <laughs> well, Don't honestly, trust Hugh Grant. I think is yeah. the, the, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, you all knew that. Um, yeah. I've seen Notting Hill. Uh, but <laughs> one of the things I've always said, one of the movies I always hold up to people is you should watch this movie before you play D and D is the mummy, the uh, oh, yeah, Stephen yeah. Summers remake from the nineties. And you'll note that that's exactly what the plot to the mummy is. They go out to a, to an, a lost city to find this like fabulous treasure and release this horrible thing. And then they have to fix it. That is that's note for note, the plot to the mummy. Yeah. And I think that that is likely what we're going to get. And that it is quite frankly, one of the best things you could do for a D and D. Um, True. Mummy is so good for this that I can actually, I can tell you what class everybody is <laughs> like, you know, uh, Rick O'Connell, there, clearly a fighter. Uh, I'm at bay, definitely a ranger. Evie, 
looks like probably like a, a lore bard with some rogue mixed in her brother straight up rogue no straight there's no rogue. dispute in that that guy is a rogue yeah um totally. so yeah i i it's it's still i'm hoping that this becomes one of those movies for me like this one in willow like mm. willow and the mummy are movies I still show people. Say, okay, this is your D and D game. Just yeah. think about this. And I would Willow love it. holds up, man. I watched yes, it again absolutely. recently. Actually, I have watched it like two or three times over the last year since it's been on uh, Disney Plus. And yeah, man, it is so I, good. One of my employees told me he had never seen it because he's a little young for it. Uh, so I literally scheduled a meeting, sat him down in a room, and put it on the TV. And that was his that was his, <laughs> his training for the day. And uh, yeah, it still holds up. It's so good. <laughs> it's great. And I actually excited for that reboot too like the going back to that those those characters um i i need them to show val kilmer though but that's mm. the only thing. <laughs> yeah but i i i feel really bad for val kilmer i know did you watch this uh yeah his, i did um, i did found footage thing right like that's mm-hmm. so interesting yeah. but uh to get back anyway, to like, talking about I, the actual dungeons <laughs> dragon stuff yeah I think this movie is 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 going to be really really exciting i love uh the direction it's a little bit hard for me cuz i my love of this game is not yeah. really about the lore, right? It's not really yeah. about the the characters that are in there. It's about what you all have been talking about, which is that like back and forth between players and the story that you're telling together. So I'm still holding out for my dream D and D project, whether it's a movie or a TV show or whatever. With that, that has more of the showing what's happening in world and what's happening out of game right and how those two interact with each other i think that's such a beautiful idea that really only D embodies um i'm still very excited about this movie i think it's hitting all the right notes but it's it's only showing half of what makes D cool in my mind yeah if the, if we if the game started with basically the actors all sitting down in front of a table and creating characters <laughs> and then we watch the show and every so often someone's like I, I you know someone does something and they fail and then it cuts to the table he's like oh, what do you mean i didn't make the role like you rolled mm-hmm. the two you rolled a two, Chris. You're not going to make it on a two. I don't care. I got a plus. I, I'm a bard, so I automatically get a ten on that roll, and that means that with my bonuses, that's a nineteen. And then you cut back to in game in the movie, and Chris Pine's character manages to pull off his bluff because he is a bard. Like that could be cool. I don't think that's going to happen, but I, I get what you're talking about. That would be really fun. It would be fun. I mean, D and D in the end, it's not yeah. As much as I love dragons, it's not about the dragons. It's not even about the dungeons. Oh my god! It's yeah. about it. It is literally the friends you make along the way. You're sitting together with a bunch of friends at a table or at a virtual table, and you're you're telling stories together. You're doing fun stuff together, and that is D and D. And sometimes you're saving oh, the world geez. if you you know like you know Stranger Things. It's fine. <laughs> uh, you know, or sometimes you're accidentally destroying the world, and then you have to scramble and try and fix it again. You know, it's it's just how it goes. Like you do. No, I agree. Uh, <laughs> I I I think there's so much drama that could be told if there were. It was about the relationships around the table, and then how those were expressed both out of game. Like there's so many coming of age stories that we could tell, but then ha- having that be contrasted with what's happening in the the more you know linear fantasy that's telling at the same time and again how those interact with each other kind of like what stranger things has done uh with that group from from earlier but just more focused on uh being a kid at mm-hmm. that time you know okay yeah. um yeah that's my dream but you know <laughs> one day one day, one day. Maybe, maybe we'll get that like, the sequel is is like oh yeah but this was just actually about uh the person who was trying to be chris pine uh in <laughs> uh in their in their basement 
Uh, I am really looking forward to it, but it does sound like we need to wait a year to find out how well it pulls it off. But it's really fun. So far, it's fun. Yeah. And this was just the first teaser trailer, right? There will might yeah. be one or two more. I mean, if they're following the, uh, you know, big blockbuster action movie thing, there's going to be probably two or three more trailers, you know, some more, some more information coming out. This was just the first big taste, but so far it's been interesting seeing that the most conversation about it from D and D fans is, uh, Hey, that's an owlbear. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I'm sitting there like, wild oh, shape into an owlbear. <laughs> that's a tiefling druid wild shaping into an owlbear. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah i was too i was like guys you've never heard of the rule of cool like that's this makes it the most fifth edition uh D property ever oh hard agree hard agree uh that that's that's one of those things that i think um is one of the joys of fifth edition um more so than i think fourth edition which while matt and i have talked about a lot is it was better than people remember it as, and there's a lot of DNA there that that sort of became foundation work for fifth edition. You can absolutely see it if you look. Uh, but sure. fifth edition is about embracing that ridiculousness, right? Like, and you even see it with some of the books that are coming out now, with like the extra classes or subclasses and variations that you can go. But it's all about having fun, and it it, it definitely seems like recent publications have really tried to push that as well. Uh, like I brought up Mordenkainen's earlier. Um, mm-hmm. But you had Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. You had Morning Canons. Um, you have all these books that are encouraging players to essentially take core ideas and then make them their own. Whether it's coming up with alternate backgrounds for whatever class you want to, or race you want to play as, getting rid of uh, traditional racials, which I think was a fantastic idea. Um, really embracing backgrounds and customization. Like there's a lot of that, and you can do some really fun, unique things. Uh, and really have characters personalize themselves uh, to whatever they want, right? It's no longer I'm just playing an elf ranger. It's, you know, in Liz's case, she's playing a, uh, you know, dragonborn raging ranger. Go ahead, Liz. (laughs) A dragonborn drake warden that has Mm. a, yes, instead of having like, the the drake warden is supposed to have like a, a spectral dragon or some sort of like a conjurable dragon, but she has a, like an actual baby dragon that she rescued. And it's, which there's another rule of cool thing. I went to Matt and I said, I had this idea about this, this dragonborn who's raised in this place where there are a bunch of dragons and she rescued a baby dragon egg. And Matt's like, sure, sure. Let's do it. <laughs> Sounds cool. We'll do it. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think that's like, a why am I going to argue about that? You know, <laughs> Oh, you want to give me a hostage? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's a, that's a plot starter. That's what that is. Yeah. I know. If you hurt my adorable baby dragon, Matt, ah, you don't hurt. You have now, you have 10, you have 10 adorable baby dragons now. Yeah. The adorable baby dragon thing kind of snowballed. And now there are a lot of adorable baby (laughs) dragons. They're not going on all the adventures with you. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) Just because neither of us wants to control 10 baby dragon NPCs at the same time, n- no one wants that. <laughs> but I, I love that shift in philosophy from the, I mean, I think we've kind of really torn away the last vest- vestiges of, of the war gaming mentality that, that D&D yeah. kind of sprang from, right? Yep. Where it was like, oh, it was like more of a punishing thing. Oh, you got to get through this gauntlet, you know, of this dungeon in order to level up your character. And it's by this mature state of fifth edition here, we are very much in the like, let's do what is fun. Of course, there no, still needs to be some some game consequences to certain actions, but yeah, why not? Uh, all, and that's why I've really loved all the um, optional rules that have been put forth in uh, Xanathar's Guide as well as Tasha's Cauldron, where it's just like, yeah, play whatever you need to. Like, well, there's no restrictions, uh, you know, because 
how how is it fun to be like oh you can't be a paladin because you are a drow right like what that's not fun let's let's tell fun and exciting stories with no limits yeah um, like literally, our- literally some of the biggest books that have ever come out um under the D name are about a, a moody but <laughs> ultimately heroic drow i mean come on yeah <laughs> I mean, and even us, we have a player who uh, who's now a, a drow druid, but it's like, it's not something you would typically see. And like, it's it's all about fun. It's all about having sort of that 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 play experience where everybody's just having a good time. And I, and I really like that because that's always what it was for for us, at least in my groups growing up. And then um, I was never I think it was more the people and this is not to disparage it, uh, but like the Adventurers League around here was very much hard by the book. And so mm-hmm. when that started happening, it wasn't really a fun experience because especially for newer players, like they would want to do something cool and you'd be like, no, there's no rules for that. You can't do that. Um, and again, it might've been just the people, but like now the books basically codifying, no, have fun, prioritize fun. Uh, I think that is, it's exceptionally important, especially with the limited amount of time we get to have fun with friends. Uh, it's, it's a big thing, at least for me. For sure. And I think there is something to be said for people whose fun comes from sim- simulation sure. type style games, right? Like, so it's also another big thing that has changed uh, or, or, or grown in the community is this idea of session zero or mm-hmm. just making sure that you are playing the game that everybody at the table wants to play uh, is bas- basically the tenet there, right? And so I think you can find your game. I think you can find the one that if you want one that has more restrictions or, or that is more uh, adherent to the rules as written, you can find that you can find a dungeon master with, with players who are on the same page with you and you can all have fun with that together. If you want a game that's much more open-ended and following the rule of cool and wants to um, experiment with all types of yes anding throughout the game and the character creation, you can find that too. And I think that's, what's really exciting is letting people understand that the style of game and the style of the players uh that you are around the table with matter just as much as you know party makeup and you know whether people are free on a tuesday night and things like that right like i think that's been really interesting to see with this growth of people and uh, uh different backgrounds coming into the game is that now there's just so many different styles to play and, and there might be different you might be into one style now and change your mind and play one. Hey, I want to play a different style next time. Right. I want to do mm-hmm. more of a horror based game. That's a lot more about taking away of resources rather than just giving them to people. And, uh, the best part about it now is that people now have a vocabulary with which to, to talk about those things and kind of level set. Yeah. And I really appreciate you bringing up like the session zero thing. And that's something that, uh, our very first tavern watch we talked about, we talk about it a lot. We've actually, uh, had a lot of questions about it over, over the last, year at least as far as us covering tabletop stuff uh it and it's something that is really in, I, I feel important to the play space because like you said there's something for everybody as long as you can vocalize what you you want and yeah. having that conversation and making sure everybody's on the same page uh making sure everybody's getting what they want out of it is very very important because if you have a party of six people and five people are having a good time and one person isn't to me that's a failure because that mm-hmm. one person's feeling excluded when they shouldn't Right. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to hear uh, session zero being uh, discussed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or at least yeah. And it's interesting because it's been something that's been talked about uh, in the community. And this is where I love that the 
um, both the designers on the D and D team as well as the freelancers that are brought in to work on um, D and D products are infusing some of those ideas from the community. And then it was, I think it was actually in Van Richten's guide mm-hmm. to Ravenloft uh, was like, have a session zero. If you're going to be dealing with these horror elements. You got to make sure you're all on the same page. And I think, to my knowledge, that was the first time it was mentioned in an official Dungeons and Dragons product. The the idea of a session zero, and I just think that's going to be continuing going forward. And it's funny how I, you know, pay attention to the community and and and, and talk with those folks all the time on Twitter and 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 listen a lot. The idea of a session zero was not new to me, but I met someone I think who said, "Oh yeah, I first learned about that when I read Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's of course that makes total sense." There are going to be people who are only learning about things uh, at a different pace. Um, and when it's written into uh, an actual D&D book that people, um, you know, grab for their 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 play group, you know, it just adds to that, that community knowledge and uh, contributes and kind of spreads it out farther. So I love that stuff that is taken for granted in certain parts of the community is now introduced to a much larger group. And that trend is just going to keep continuing. And the interesting thing for me too about that is because it shares uh, a, a parentage, I guess you would say, or, or like a lineage with uh, Rule Zero, which is a thing from the other side of of the the company that you're at uh, with Magic the Gathering, and that's something that's been around mm-hmm. for forever, right? It's the the Rule Zero discuss what you're gonna what type of game you're gonna play, um, and there's a lot of people that I was talking to in a, one of the local stores that were really gun ho about um, Session Zero, but like were disparaging Magic the Gathering. I just casually mentioned is like well, session zero is rule zero and their eyes just kind of like, wait, what, what? And I explained it and their, their eyes just kind of got real, real big. It's like, Oh, it's like, yeah, that it's, it's not like it used to be. Everything is, is it's all about player choice. doesn't matter what the game is anymore. It's, it's about everybody being on the same page. So. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, I'm going to jump in because I mentioned I was going to ask this and the time has come. Uh, Dragonlance. You, you guys announced, I think like last year or is it this year? Oh my God. Like I can't time. tell time. Yeah, the universe. Time <laughs> when weird. you announced it's weird. it, it's it was, I think it was February of this year. You announced two Dragonlance projects. One would be an adventure and one is a tactical game. Yeah. What can you tell us, if anything, about this, aside from the fact that it's happening? Is there anything you can tell us? If you're not, that's fine, but I'm going to ask because it's Dragonlance. I'm going to tell you it's really cool. <laughs> that's about all I can tell uh, about it. There's going to be a lot of information coming out soon, but I... You know, I, I mentioned simulation games and how you uh, kind of need to get everybody on board uh, with doing it. I think this idea of having the War of the Lance occurring and then being able to have uh, a tabletop D&D session and then be able to take that session when it gets to a battle or gets to something that's a little bit more larger scale, uh, be able to play that out on a uh, a tactical, you know, uh, battle game that's got a lot more board game uh, aesthetics to it. I just think that's really cool. I love that idea of uh, going from a macro level to a micro level and back and forth uh, in between that on a spectrum is just super interesting to me. Um, so it's it's going to be new. I mean, I think I mentioned how the Spelljammer um, uh, way it's being presented with three volumes in a slipcase with a Dungeon Master screen. The way that Dungeon Dragon uh, D- D- Dragonlance is being presented is also very different with having you know an adventure book and this uh, companion um, uh, battle game along with it. I just think it's going to be so 
cool and is a nice way to evolve the game, right? You know, it's not just another adventure that you can just roll up and play, as fun as that would be in Dragonlance. It's adding something new and exciting to that formula that hasn't been seen before. To my knowledge, there has not been a a product that is that is a, a tabletop role-playing adventure coupled with a more tactical board game style thing, right? And then you'd be able to go back and forth between those and have your your party um, interact with both of those. I just think that's so fun. Um, like I said, there's a lot more information that's going to be coming soon, but that's the thing that's got me really excited about uh, about Dragonlance. Cool. Um, one last thing for me, and then I'll let somebody else talk. Uh, you guys had James Wyatt back on staff, right? Uh, over at the d yeah. side. He put out, before he moved back on, he he put out uh, things called Plane Shift. He did. For the various Magic the Gathering uh, worlds is there any chance of those getting just i know that they exist and they're pdfs any chance of that getting a release of some sort at some point or is that something that i should start bugging you guys about well like, that's pretty much uh uh what um theros and uh ravnica had been right they, yeah they, but they were just the that at large yeah but the you still have a lot of like Basically, what I'm getting at is you, you guys have all this magic content that you have started using, and magic has started using D&D content. Uh, at some point, like, are, is that something you're going to keep doing going forward? Are you going to move towards like having that content be across? Because you were just talking about how you're doing an adventure and a tactical game in one thing, and it just made me think about, are you moving towards having content that exists in both at once? Well, I think... Um, I, I, I can't really speak to future plans on that, uh, specifically, but I can point to how I'm excited that those silos are no longer silos, right? Yes. I think, I think we talked I, about I the last time you were this. here. Yeah. Yeah. Just how it was always, uh, this, this, this unwritten rule. For <laughs> Never the two should meet. Oh, yeah. No, and then, and then James just walked around and was like, Hey, can I do this? And they're like, yeah, sure. I don't see why not. Like no one told him. No, he like basically went to, around to the various people in the Wizards of the Coast office and no one, no one said no. So he's like, sure, I'll do it then. Um, and so I just love that those barriers are down and that we now have, uh, the adventures of the forgotten realms, magic cards, and then the newly released battle for Baldur's gate, uh, commander set. Very good um, set, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It was just tons of great evocative. We mentioned the, the Minsk and boo stuff. Like but I, I'm built, I'm literally building a Tasha, the witch queen deck. Like as we, uh, like I was getting cards for it earlier today. Right. It's Tasha. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Tasha. How could I not? Right. Like it's just, it's good. It's good that the barriers are down. <laughs> right. Because there's so much great, uh, storytelling and world building for both, magic and Dungeons and Dragons. So like, of course, why wouldn't we want to experiment with both uh, and jump into yeah, and, form? and the interesting thing about that, and I know you can't speak of future plans, but like, I was just thinking about this because we just had the big release from, or the preview yesterday uh, for the wizard stuff for the upcoming sets where mm -hmm. they're now talking about doing multi set story arcs again, finally uh, with uh, Dominaria United. And I'm sitting here thinking like, Dominaria United, like which was the OG setting, Dominaria, the OG yeah. magic setting, was always ripe for like a D&D &D setting. And like if they can get to this point where they bring that stuff in and bring the stuff with like the Cabal and bring the stuff in with uh, Nicobolas and all that other stuff into like a D&D &D setting, especially with all the other stuff that's coming out. Like, I don't know, Nicobolas is a giant planeswalking dragon. Uh, hmm. We just had a giant dragon book that talked about how dragons are multi-dimensional. Hmm. Uh, like there's a, there's a lot of stuff that would just like, seems like it marries together really, really well. And like I said, I know you, it's one of those things where you can't talk to future plans, but uh, I know me personally, 
if there was ever to be a Dominaria setting released, I think I would just lose my mind. <laughs> There's so much great storytelling in those in those uh, early settings, uh, and I, I've I've met fans who've like, oh yeah, I didn't play a lot of Magic, but I read the Magic novels, and I was like, yeah, I still have them on my shelf. Novels, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know uh, those existed. So um, yeah, there's a lot there. And I just love the idea now that Spelljammer is coming out that, uh, I mean, we've kind of planted the seed and I think a lot of people's headcanon kind of uh, went along with it that, you know, the D&D multiverse and the magic planes uh, and multiverse are compatible, right? Like you can go from the uh, the 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 space uh, that surrounds Theros and then travel in a Spelljammer to uh the forgotten realms you could travel to athos you could travel to uh innistrad uh you said the and, magic word with athos <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> right and i just love that people can can take you know you know uh, go into the older uh, annals of D settings and modernize it if you want or just keep it as is and maybe you when you go into that world you're all of a sudden in second edition rules for some reason like there's so many fun things you can do with the idea of spell jamming and going in between worlds that i would love people to start using even those old plane shift, right? We go back to, I think there's an Ixalan one. You could go, yep. go to the world of Ixalan. I have all of them. I've got yeah. all of them downloaded. I even wrote an article for our site talking about it because they are, they're not play tested, but they're great. But at the same time, <laughs> I ran some of it and I destroyed a party and I'm like, oh, oh, I definitely should have thought really hard about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to them. I really, I've never played magic. In fact, I don't really like card games all that much. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure why. The world. The world's amazing. I just haven't played the game. Um, the same thing with Warhammer. I've never played a Warhammer thing, but I've read up all the lore because you know it's lore. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm I'm kind of a nut for that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I I do have a question that I'm not sure that you can fully answer, but it, it might just boil down to a yes or no. We talked a lot about the older settings. Uh, at least Matt and I do all the time because we've been doing this forever. Um, with now like Dragonlance coming back. Is there a possibility that another eye might be turned to some older content to maybe get refreshed or updated? Um, I know fans ask about settings all the time, and yes, there's a certain certain amount of us that will always do it ourselves. Um, but is that something that internally that you guys are talking about of what older content might actually be uh, viable for an update? I mean, there has been you know nearly 50 years of content created for Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and that is a lot right there's oh, yeah. not a lot of properties out there that you can say that about um so there's always going to be things that uh age well or did not age well or need to be updated i mean we saw that with ravenloft and going back to a lot of the the old um domains of dread were pretty tropey and we're like mm -hmm. hey we can make that a lot better and make it a lot more fun for uh this audience now so um yeah there is always that uh possibility for me it's like it has to be something that um adds to the current state of the the the, the D, D multiverse right like so with Spelljammer, having the fact that it is not just oh we're going to take all of the stuff that was in second edition Spelljammer. it's not that at all it's basically just take oh there's some inspirations we're going to change and adapt it and and uh experiment with this form factor of having you know three volumes in one and 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 making the adventure written in a way to be much more episodic like it's it's very different um from even the conception of way Spelljammer was back in the 90s so that's why i think uh perkins was excited to go into it and want to to uh add his specific kind of ideas and spins and his, and his experience to it same thing with dragonlance where 
if if we were just going to port Dragonlance from you know the Chronicle novels that everybody loves, I don't think it would be worth it. I don't think it would really be have an audience. Honestly, I would have some audience amongst <laughs> probably the members of this call who uh, have the nostalgia <laughs> for that stuff, but. You know, honestly, that's not the major people who are purchasing Dungeons and Dragons right now. I think mm-hmm. it has to have something that feels new and different and additive to what's available out there. And so that's why I think having the the board game aspect as well as this um, kind of idea of the ongoing war uh, as a backdrop to adventure is something that we have not yet done before in 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons. So I, and I think that's kind of exciting. So I don't think every setting is like that quite right now that's been made and 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 if i'm perfectly honest i mean i don't i talk to the designers i know them well i i'm not the one that they ask for for what we should make next <laughs> but my personal thought is let's get some new fucking settings out there <laughs> let's like let's get some some things that are interesting and more about now you know like uh, similar to the way eberron was a breath of fresh air mm-hmm. in the 2000s like uh, what's the 2020 you know setting that that is going to be created right now right like i think that's the type of thing that's more exciting dungeons and dragons is is certainly has a certain level of nostalgia built up with it but as we've been talking it's a it's a storytelling framework that should be about what's modern and what's now and what's uh going on in the world so you know that's 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 my two cents i'd I'd rather rather than go back and rehash birthright or mistara or whatever i'd rather uh create create new settings why you gotta say mistara man (laughs) (laughs) sorry uh but i think we're we're running out of time so i think we're gonna go for a last call here so liz any last questions for greg uh, you know i think we pretty much covered it i think we pretty much covered everything i had down on my on my list all right, Matt. I'll I'll ask one that I thought Liz was going to ask, but she isn't. So, um, is there any any idea if you guys are working towards something where I spend a certain amount of money on a hardcover book and I automatically get the book for D and D Beyond? <laughs> Perhaps I pay more. I'm not saying I shouldn't have to pay more, but a one stop purchase type thing, like where I don't have to buy I mean, it twice. I mean, not- I figured. I figured I wouldn't be the first person to make this request because, wow, that would be super convenient. Yeah, I'm not even saying that there shouldn't be like a, a secondary cost to it. I'm just saying I really wish I didn't have to actually make two transactions to do this. Because I, I have ADD, and it's uh-huh. real hard for me to remember to do that. And plus, yeah. it means I can't, like, I'd like it if I could go buy the book from my local game store, but get something where I could then get the book on D&D Beyond rather than you know, have to buy the thing twice. I, I get that there's limitations and problems, but is this something anyone's talking about? Have, I can't be the first person to mention that. <laughs> By far, you are not the first person to mention that. <laughs> probably uh, not no, the thousand. I'm, I'm also going to say yeah, that's it's, probably not one that has a clear answer right now that can be publicized or, or anything, mm-hmm. right? It really doesn't. And I yeah. think what's really important to note is that it's something that reminds me of the people who complained when no man's sky first came out and they're like oh i thought it was going to be multiplayer it'll take two weeks just make it multiplayer and make it a massively multiplayer <laughs> I'm game i'm aware it would be really freaking hard I it's really hard there's no good way to do it uh unfortunately is 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 what uh we have uh that's why it's been talked about for so long right i think that the the instinct is there we want to remove barriers to people to who want to play the game um i think 
the acquisition of D&D Beyond is a step in the right direction there. And that's probably all I can say uh, on that front. But I think it is something that we are definitely talking about and trying to find a solution that doesn't create more problems, if that makes sense. That's, that's always the trick when you... Yeah. Because everything has snags and you may not know about the snags until after they show up. Right. Um, I know many people have said, like, I mean, I'll just say one example is not to cut you off, but just to be like, you know, hey, why you just put a code in a book? Well, and you can't have that book open on the shelf. Yeah. Right. And then all of a sudden you get shrink wrap and then like, okay, well, what if I mean, people can shrink wrap books? What if they open up the book, they take the code and then they shrink wrap it again and put it on there? Like, there's just so many ways that can be exploited that is not ideal for the consumers. And I think even though, like I said, the instinct is there to try to remove those barriers. Again, we just don't want it to be like, well, that feels bad. I mean, the whole problem, I love having a physical book in front of me. Like I have my Wild Beyond the Witchlight book on my shelf over here and it is covered in sticky notes and like Mm -hmm. little tabs that I've put in so I can flip through it and reference things. But I also own it on D&D Beyond because going into D&D Beyond, if I'm looking for something, I can just search for it and find it immediately. And if I'm looking for something that's from a different book that I'm referencing, I can search for it and find it immediately, or it will be linked in line on D&D Beyond and I can just click it. So it's like there are different conveniences and it's nice to have both. But like Matt said, it's such a, it's kind of a headache to both spend the money on both and have to remember to get both. Yeah. For Uh, me, it's more the remembering. I don't mind spending the money ultimately (laughs) because I understand that, you know, that's how you can make these things profitable. Yeah. But it is one of those situations where there's a lot of stuff I own here that I just didn't remember. Like, and and (laughs) I'll say this, that Liz's penchant for sharing for in campaigns has meant that I haven't had to buy a lot of them again. Which is right. great, and that's something that you guys have done that I think answers this problem a little bit. But yeah, that was so. my question because I just wanted to get that in before we left the show. No, I totally understand, and I think there is, I think there's a way to go like digitally to physical. I think the hard part is going physical to digital, if that uh, makes sense. Yeah. Right, and so I, 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 I have hope that we'll come up with something that helps <laughs> out the consumer. But to your point, Liz, I think of it as uh, maybe it's not quite so relevant now but hopefully you are old enough to understand is like when you had a tape deck in your car Mm -hmm. but you listened to it on (laughs) cd in your house right like okay well you had to buy it in two different formats because there had two very different applications um and i think it sounds probably bonkers and people will yell at me for saying it but it actually is a much more consumer friendly way to in the current system where you only purchase the things that you are going to use right and so if you find convenience and be able to use it on dnd beyond buy it there if you also love having the uh, physical book in front of you when you're playing in front of people and you have it all noted up, you have to buy it there too. And you have that choice. If we have to, if we combine all those, then it doesn't feel like a choice as much. It feels like, oh, I have to do this, this extra charge uh, type of thing. And so I think that's what we're trying to avoid is, is, is pissing off more fans by, by not giving them as much choice. Yeah, and I know we had, there were complaints when uh, Morden Canons came out, the Monsters of the Multiverse, and it was out physically, but only as part of a bundle first. And it's like, oh, we have to buy this bundle, and we can't just buy it digitally. And there was another book earlier where it came out digitally earlier than physical because of printing delays. And it was the same thing. Oh, no, I have to buy it. I have to buy the physical copy, and I just want the digital copy, or vice versa. So I don't know if there's a way to win here unless you just have, there's an option for everything. 
Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. It's like, and what if I what if I buy a physical book, but I want to copy on roll twenty because that's something totally different. It's like there are so many things you might want to do. Uh, like it is ultimately. I think. I, it, it, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's like it's such a complex yeah. thing, right? Like, yes. Yeah. In and and now in the age, like a lot of people take digital delivery for for granted because so many things are just mm-hmm. purely digital. Um, but a lot of things that exist in both worlds, like it is, how do you satisfy both without, like, like Greg said, it's how do you satisfy both without making anybody angry because that's an easy thing to do, right? It's one small thing could have cascading uh, effects, right? It is so easy, but like Strixhaven, I own, I have a physical copy of Strixhaven. I have a D&D Beyond copy of Strixhaven, and I have a Strix copy of Strixhaven on Roll20. I have like, I have like the trifecta of Strixhaven because I'm using it in different formats in different places. Uh, because like with y'all, we play and we just use D&D Beyond for character sheets. And I have another gaming group that I'm running a Strixhaven game for, and uh, we play exclusively in Roll20. So it's like, you gotta have everything everywhere. Digital is so convenient, but it's also added so many complications. It has, right? And it goes yep. back to that idea I was talking about with collecting, right? That idea that like you yeah. have to own it all. And that's the yeah. thing I'd like to kind of help to divorce people from. I mean, obviously, the way you were talking about Strixhaven, you had applications for using all three of those yeah. formats. I would assume you got whatever it was, 50 bucks of fun out of each one of those formats. Uh, and it was worth it to you. If it's not worth it to you, well, then you really do have the option not to buy it, right? Like that is the, yeah. and there is a lot of D&D stuff that is available for free. Like, again, like you don't have to, you don't have to pay a cent to play Dungeons and Dragons. It, the basic rules are available up on uh, uh, the website right now. I think they're available in D&D Beyond for free. You know, you can play with, 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 with all that without having to buy anything. I think that's the trade-off right here is like, it's just like, yeah. hey, if you want it, you can purchase it. No one's forcing well, you. And the nice thing about, you know, D&D Beyond, Roll20, and systems like that are, you know, if one person, you know, if your DM buys it, then they can share it with everyone. And, like, everyone, it's kind of like, you know, being around a physical table with people, and it's like one person has a pile of books, but everyone can pass them around. So it's it's really great to see digital tool sets doing that, because otherwise that would, that would turn into a pile of expenses, I suspect. <laughs> exactly, right. No, uh, I- I was going to say to move away from the digital discussion, I do have one last question that actually was sent in by uh, a friend of the show uh, that I'm going to ask before we pass it along or pass uh, to the end of the show here, which is how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tarrasque? (laughs) Ah, well, let me see. One, two, (laughs) three. (laughs) Three. Uh, I love it. Uh, Greg, I do want to thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, is there anything else you want to share or anything you want to plug before, uh, before we call it good? Well, I mean, I've got a, uh, I actually, I do have a bunch of stuff. So I, uh, we're uh, on a podcast as well. My co-host Shelly Mazzanova and I are on Dragon Talk. We Great podcast, by the way. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah. We've, we're getting up to our 400th episode. Uh, oh my gosh. Soon, uh, which is crazy to me. Um, and, we have a book coming out later on this fall called Welcome to Dragon Talk, inspiring conversations about people who play D&D, um, a series of essays around some of our more interesting guests out there. It ranges the gamut from, you know, uh, from kind of Hollywood actors to uh, people who are were just uh, doing something really exciting for the community and, and, and wanted to uh, tell their stories. So it's, you know, 
irreverent narratives with me and Shelly talking to each other, but we also do a fair bit of talking about the behind the scenes of marketing Dungeons and Dragons, specifically about like the growth of the D&D community and how that has shifted and changed from the war gaming days in the 1970s to when me and Shelly joined the team and how our influence kind of, you know, changed the way um, D&D was thought about kind of in the fifth edition era. So there's a whole, you know, Hopefully it, it appeals to, to all types of fans of Dungeons and Dragons as well as um, podcasting and and the community as a whole. Uh, I also have a Star Trek podcast called Re-Engage, which is going back to look at all the old episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes. We are in the middle of season three right now, so we're getting to really the best part of oh, yeah. uh, that oh, yeah. series. Um, we've just got back to back, you know, amazing episodes leading up to, uh, that amazing finale and best of both worlds. So, uh, if you're interested in going back into sci-fi that basically defined sci-fi for a whole generation of us, uh, it's really fun to go back, uh, and be, you know, Gen Xers trying to be like, oh yeah, this is why I am why I am, uh, while also, uh, celebrating what was happening, uh, when those episodes were first airing. So lots of history and, and, uh, pop culture stuff too, uh, early on before we get to the, of the episode itself. So lots of fun stuff. Uh, check that out. That's that, uh, you can follow that on reengage TNG on Twitter, but if you just want to find the episodes, they're on wherever you get this podcast, probably, uh, reengage. Wonderful. Thank you very, very much. Uh, and I'm going to have to binge because I've just restarted watching The Next Generation. I'm almost done myself. So selfishly, thank you. <laughs> no problem. I was doing the same thing and I was like, oh, man, there's so much here. Like I didn't yep. realize like it's it's so because it started in 87 when I was nine. And oh, that was yep. such a formative time in my life, obviously, you know, when you're in that age. And gosh, man, I am Wesley Crusher a hardcore fanboy uh still to this day even though he's you know he makes you want to roll your eyes but you're like man i i know you i know you wesley you're me you're my people i <laughs> uh, well, well thank you, you very fun. much uh for everybody at home uh blizzard watch is made possible to do the generous donations at uh, patreon.com slash blizzard watch your continued support means this podcast on all of our podcasts the site and community is able to thrive and grow blizzard watch supporters get to enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to our podcast a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue in an ads-free site experience. Again, Greg, thank you so, so much for coming and, and hanging out with us for a little bit. We appreciate it. Uh, and keep doing the good work you're doing because obviously fifth edition is, is great. D and D is great right now. Uh, so although everything that's going, uh, I want to see you keep going. It's good. Keep it going. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me on again. It was always fun to talk and to be as open as I can be uh, yeah. about D and D stuff. Um, you all are wonderful. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.